0: For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found with him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Emily. Well, now, um, now, guys, I'm going to um, introduce
1: a good friend of mine. We're actually blessed to, um, to have someone, another redemption pastor from Redemption Tempe is going to preach. name name's Ricardo Stewart. And before he comes up, I'm going to say he's a really good friend of mine, um, which is just evidence of God's grace and goodness. He went to Arizona's other university, if you know
0: what that? I, I even see some things in this room that represent that. I don't know where that came from. But... Um, no, honestly though, Ricardo's a good, good friend of mine. A great, godly man. Um, we just got to hang out with him and his wife and his kids last night. Really excited to hear from him and what God has really laid on his heart. So, if I invite Ricardo up, would y'all give him a big round of applause? And we <laughs> invite him up here. Thanks,
1: Dave. I, I was kind of hoping Dave would say that that you need to start the whole U of A, ASU thing. The other school. When you said the other school, you got to mention ASU because there's this Grand Canyon thing that's kind of probably be bigger than both of our schools here before, before you even know it. So, hey, I appreciate you guys having me here. Um, I usually don't try to come to Tucson too often. Um, last time I was here, I drove away crying because of the football game, and so um, it's good to be back here and hopefully have a victory in Christ somehow. Um, uh, Dave and I usually go back and forth on a lot of the, the U of A ASU stuff, and so I will. Um, I understand where I'm at and I want to get home safely, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stay away from that uh, from now. But um, just a little bit about your pastor and the team of people who helped lead here. Uh, one, um, just even the inception of Redemption Tucson for us has been a uh, blessing. As much as I joke around about the ASU U of A thing, it's really for fun. Um, Tucson's a bigger city, and it's a city that obviously needs Jesus and not that Redemption Tucson is the only church that's, that's proclaiming the gospel here, but it's something that um, myself and another pastor in Tempe said it'd be awesome if we can pray and see if God would raise up a leader to go down there and uh, and uh, proclaim the gospel. Because I knew I ain't that guy, and so if they can find someone that would uh, that would that would be that, it'd be great. And so a few years ago, um, I got a phone call from Dave, and and um, I actually got an email first from Dave, and he was saying that he was uh, interested in being part of Redemption and that he wanted to plant in Tucson and. Uh, we have some mutual friends and whatnot, and I was coming down here and I was going to be in Tucson because the, the um, ASU was playing U of A down here. This was a few years ago, and um, I, one of the things I did is also am the chap on the football team at ASU. And um, so we were staying in Oral Valley, which is like Scottsdale for us, uh, at a hotel. And Dave came up with his family and got a chance to meet him. And to be, to be honest with you, I walked away thinking this is not going to happen. Uh, and not because of Dave, just because of everything that had to happen in order for them to be a part of redemption and him having to drive up to, to Tempe and do a residency with us for, for just a long period of time. And, and uh, just to his credit, man, he did everything. And it was clear from us as a leadership team when we decided that we did want Dave and his team to be a part of redemption, um, the clear thing that came from everybody around there was humility. Um, one of the things we say in Redemption is we we can care less about making a big splash or being being known or those things it, just it just doesn't matter because we're Christians and um, and Dave was the epitome of that of somebody whose character precedes him and uh, and just the abilities that God has given him to be able to communicate God's word and lead people and and so to be a part of something that me and Jim literally wrote on a board and start praying for and be see you guys all here and stuff is. It was really, really a, a good thing for me and my family. And um, I haven't been with my church in over a month, it feels like. I, I have been gone. I had uh, spoke at a camp, and then some, we had some tragedy stuff happen in our family. So we've been traveling, and then get back into town. Um, this week, we got back to Phoenix, and then we celebrated, my wife and I, our 8 years anniversary. We went out to eat and basically just slept at the table because it was the only time we had alone. Um, and then uh, and we had a wedding that I was doing down here in Tucson, and, then, and it was so often that uh, we already had planned to be down here with you guys. And so... Um, in some ways it's good to, to better be here in Tucson than it is in Tempe, And uh, even though the five days been saying it's five to ten degrees cooler. And it's like it's hot, bro. It don't it doesn't it don't, it doesn't really matter. So all right, so what we're gonna be looking at is we're gonna take a pause from the, the gospel of mark. If you've been with redemption, you know that we travel through books of the Bible, but Today we're going to look at something a little different, something I believe that God's been kind of really just uh, just working into my heart. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, that was the scripture that we just had read. If you don't have a Bible, slip up your hand and keep it raised really high. And then someone will be able to get you a copy of God's word. And um, if you don't own a Bible, go ahead and keep the one that we're handing out to you. It's our gift to you. Um, actually, you know what? We do that in Timothy. I don't know if you guys... Okay. If not, it's it's <laughs> <laughs> Tucson's gift to you? Anything else you guys want? A car? It's yours. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, keep that Bible. We're going to be... If you have the Bible that we're handing out to you, we're going to be on page 637. Uh, that's Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11, primarily uh, 5 through 10 um, in, in our time this morning. And so let me just kind of give you a heads up um, on where we're, where we're heading. So... There is this reality um, for those of us who walk with Christ, and I acknowledge that everybody in this room has a relationship with Jesus, but we walk with Christ, we love him, and there are things in our lives that begin to allow us to to drift, allow us to um, get away from the center of which we call Christ, the center of a relationship and knowing Jesus, the freedom that we have in Christ. And so what happens often is we become Christians and we hear these concepts of grace, God's unmerited favor towards us and we're free. And then something happens immediately after that, whether it's weeks or days or years, where we go from entering in with this relationship of good news to we go towards what we call religion. Now, when I talk about religion, I'm using that word in a pejorative sense. So not that there's not such a thing as biblical religion. Uh, The book of James lets us know there is true biblical religion, but oftentimes when you see in the scriptures, as well as the vernacular of many Christians, is religion is used in a pejorative sense of saying, what you can do to make yourselves right before God. Um, and even that those of us who have a relationship with God, we start off with this relationship, but somehow we end up in religion. It, it happens oftentimes when we find ourselves in sin, um, we, we sin in a certain way, and the next thing we do, instead of resting in the work of Christ, we begin to think about what are the things in which I can do to get back in right relationship with God. We have language like, I need to get right with God. Like these, our language in itself begins to show what we believe. And that is that the way that we recenter ourselves is by doing more things, and hopefully in doing more things that God himself would say, now you can come back home. And what I want to do, do it for today is to say that's just not true, that's not biblical, and it's not freeing. It's not something that really gives you the freedom and the power that the gospel of Jesus Christ gives you. So essentially, religion versus relationship, if we can use that language. Um, re- religion is basically um, before you can come home to God, that you have to get everything right. You've got to have a job. you got to have the right spouse. You've got to have done the right things in school and you get everything in, in order so you can come back to God. And, and hopefully he'll, he'll, he'll bring you back home. He'll let you back in. Where the relationship that we have through the gospel of Jesus Christ is God knows that we will never, ever find our way back home. And so he sends our elder brother, Jesus Christ, to come find us. And he's the one who takes us back home, no matter what we've done or what we haven't done, good or bad. But we are accepted completely on the basis of who he is. And that in itself is freedom because we never have to worry on our journey back. Is God going to accept me? Because all we have to do is look at his son and say he accepts me because of him. And so that's where we're going today. Uh, just a little bit of my style and preaching preaching. It's a little, maybe a little bit different than Dave's. Uh, so every once in a while, if something's true, I may say amen. Now, you don't have to say amen back. <laughs> but if it's true, you can. All right? But you don't have to. All right? But you should. And so, <laughs> so before we jump into God's word, would you guys go ahead and pray with me, and, uh, and we'll walk through this. Father, we thank you so much, and I thank you, Lord, for the gift of the church, that your people throughout the world, God, are worshiping you. That they're taking the elements of the bread, Lord, that is a symbol of your body that is broken for us. And, Lord, they're drinking the wine and the juice that your blood was shed for us. That we sing songs of praises, Lord, of adoration of who you are, a confession because of our own sin. Of the assurance of grace that you give us, Lord, that we are always acceptable before you because of you. God, we thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word, Lord, which shapes us, Lord, which renews us, which reminds us, which points us to you, for the Holy Spirit, God, that points us to your son, Jesus. And more than anything, Lord, the love of a good father. And so, Lord, as we look into your word today, Lord, help us to know what it means to know Christ, to remind us that, to remind us, or for the first time, teach us what it means to to gain Christ, as Paul says here. And lastly, Father, would you give us, Lord, the freedom, Lord, to know what it means to be found in Christ, not in our own selves, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So one of my, my, my favorite memories, and I, and I love telling this story whenever I get a chance to have a new audience and you guys are new, so, um, is, is the first girl that I liked. Um, you know, some people, they start liking girls when they get older. I was like eight, and I knew already. Um, and there was this girl um our school district had um built a new school and they took a bunch of students from different schools to go to this one school so i showed up there and there was a girl in my class her name was krista uh, turner right let's just say her name was krista turner right because that's her name <laughs> and 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 she she you know in my eight-year-old mind was you know she was, she was the deal and and so um we we sat around tables and I would listen to her say the things that she liked and so I remember in fourth grade she said that she liked the Oakland A's and I was a Dodger fan I grew up in California I'm a Dodger fan I'm a Laker fan I'm a Raider fan and I know I'm still a Christian too um and uh, and 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 I said well I'll, I'll I'm not a Dodger fan anymore I'm a, I'm, not, I'm an A's fan I went and got an A's hat show up to school no recognition okay I had her again in my class in fifth grade and then we went to junior high and junior high for us, it was a sixth to eighth grade. And so when you get to sixth grade, on uh, junior high, you have multiple classes. And I'm sitting there thinking like, man, am I going to get Chris at least in one of my classes? Well, by God's providence and good grace towards me, I had her in three of my six classes, right? And I thought, this is something clearly, God, God wants this, right? And so she's in my class. And now this is the moment where, you know, sixth, seventh grade, you, you, don't, you just can't go outside and play basketball and come back in and not smell. Like, there's a, there's a moment where, like, kids can run around and play, and it's good. And then, then they get a little older, and like, you need to do something about that, right? And so my sister, would, I had an older sister, and she'd always tell me I was a smelly little boy and things like that. And so I thought, man, maybe Krista doesn't like me because I don't smell good. So I stopped playing basketball at recess. right I was serious about this, guy This has been years in the, in the makings. And so, so we, were out, we were at a table, and she said, you know what I like? I really like my dad's cologne. And so I was like, oh, my dad's cologne. So I went back home, and I thought, I don't have any cologne, and my dad doesn't have any cologne, but I have an older sister, and she has perfume, and nobody really knows the difference between perfume and cologne, right? This is the 12-year-old me, and uh, so I took the perfume and sprayed it all over me, and I showed up to class the next day thinking, this is it, this is it, right? And we're sitting around the table, and she goes, oh my goodness, can you smell, who's got all that perfume on? Can you smell that? I'm like, who is that? (laughs) All <laughs> right, I just totally pretended it was me. Went to the bathroom, washed my hands, and tried to get the smell off of me. It just didn't work, right? And I said that one because it's silly. And, and and to be honest with you, Krista never liked me until the eighth grade. I grew five inches from seventh to eighth grade, and all of a sudden she liked me. And guess what, guys? I gave her the high I said, "No, no, I'm time for <laughs> And I totally did it because of all those years she had done it to me, which is not good. I wasn't saved. I mean, so whatever. And so. So I I share that story to go like that. That was silly. And all these things I would go to try to impress this girl. Right. From the time I was eight to the time I was 12. I just wanted to impress her that she would notice me. Now, crazy enough, as, as, as juvenile as that sounds, we do that with each other like horizontally. And then we do that before God with God. We naturally do that. We try to do things, religious things, good things that the Bible says to do, and to impress ourselves before God, that we feel confident before God if we can just do whatever these religious things may be. And we do it with each other, too. I mean, this, this is how it works. Um, if you've been walking with Christ for some time, you'll have people come to you and say, how's your walk with Jesus, or whatever language you use, and you never just say, I'm found in Jesus, it's good. What you say is, oh, it's actually going really good because I'm praying a lot. I'm fasting twice a day. I read through Leviticus again. I mean, like whatever it is you you can say, it's like it's going good because I'm doing these things. Or it's not that good because I haven't prayed. I haven't been reading my Bible and so forth. Which, by the way, all really good things to do and practices that we ought to do. But that has no bearings on our relationship with God. Unless we believe that our relationship with God is based on what we can do to impress him. Paul here, and what we have here is what you're going to see in Philippians chapter 3, is uh, the Apostle Paul is and was the most religious person you could have met. I mean, outside of Jesus in the Bible, Paul did everything you could possibly do. Like if there was a way to, quote unquote, make God's team by performance, he would have been first team all Christian. Right. I mean, like he, he would have somehow made it in in such a way that would shattered everybody else. And so he's trying to give those of us who are Christians a reminder of saying that's not it. And for those of us who have never trusted in Christ, he's saying, okay, a reminder for some and for some to go, okay, if you thought religion and Christianity was about what you need to do in order to make yourself right before God, let me tell you that it's not about what you need to do, but actually what God has already done for you in Christ Jesus. So read with me here in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, finally, my brothers, he's like, after telling you how good you are, and if you don't know the letter of Philippians, like Philippians is like the best church church. Ever like Paul only says good things about them. Like you're good, you're good, you're good. You go to Corinthians and it's like you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. And then Philippians, you're good, you're good, you're good. And he goes finally after telling you how good you are, let me give you some things, my brothers. He says rejoice in the Lord, and he says to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now here's what I like about this: um, you never get past whatever it is he's about to say. So if you've been a Christian for a long time, you're going, really, are going to talk about the gospel again? Are we going to talk about what it means to know Christ, to be found in the perfect? I know that already. Um, if you ever think that you fully got the gospel, you might actually be losing it. And if you ever trust in Christ and go, I'm not really sure if I get it, you actually might be getting deeper than you ever could imagine or think. Pa- Paul, right? Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament, says, I think it's a good thing that I remind you on whatever it is I'm about to say here. And he says this, verse 2. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For, and he begins to talk about his pedigree, he says, for we are the real circumcision, um, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, he understands that his primary audience are Jewish people, like ethnic Hebrews. And for them, circumcision meant more than just a medical procedure. And if you don't know what that is, today. the date. Um, and he and, and could probably figure that out for you but what it meant was an identity thing that their identity was that I am Jewish and so they took a lot of pride in their race and their culture and their tradition and their heritage which are really good things and he says but we are a real circumcision he said the true circumcision is not what could happen medically but what happens spiritually because we put no confidence in the flesh and then he goes if there's anybody who should and could he goes, it would be me. And then Paul goes from here and lists his pedigree, his degrees, and why um, if there's anybody who could be accepted on the basis of what he or she could do, it would be him. And then he, he says this and he continues in verse four. Though I myself have reason to have confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he, is, he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, a persecutor of the church, excuse me, as the righteousness under the law, blameless, but whatever I gain, I count it loss for the sake of Christ. Here's what he's saying. If anybody else, in, in terms of what is popular, like what is accepted, now, in their culture, this would be accepted. In ours, it might be whatever degrees you have and maybe how much money you have or how much possessions you have, how much girls you have, how many guys you have, how many kids you have. I don't know. Whatever it is, every culture and every subculture has things that people esteem to. And in his culture, it was religious. I mean, the, the Hebrew people were a rather religious people, and rightfully so. He goes, if there's anybody who's done it, it's me. He goes, check this out. He goes, I was circumcised on the eighth day, the proper day to get circumcised. And he goes, I was from the tribe of Benjamin. So there was 12 tribes of, of God's people. And then, like, the most prized tribe was Benjamin. he goes, that's my people, right? And he says, I come from them. And he goes, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. What that means is he was the head Hebrew in charge. Like if there was a Hebrew, he was the best Hebrew. Like nobody can out Hebrew him. If you to think about in our context, like he knew all the Bible verses. He knew uh, what page to turn to, went to all the BBS camps, sword drills, marched in God's army several times. I mean, like he, he was, he was that, that guy. And he goes, nobody could outdo me in being Hebrew. And he goes, and, and, and when it comes to zeal or a word we would use as passion, he goes. I was more passionate than anybody. He goes. When it comes to the law, he goes. I was a Pharisee, and you guys have been traveling through the Gospel of Mark, and so you know what a Pharisee is. The Pharisee was really good at doing everything. He goes. I got the Scripture memorized. People say turn to Leviticus. I just start quoting. Right? He has it. He goes. But all of those things, I counted as lost. Let me pause here for a second. Paul is not creating some false dichotomy in which what we do in Christian circles. That if you have a medical degree, that if you're a teacher, that if you're a lawyer, if you're a doctor, if you're a mom, whatever it is that you do, that those things don't matter. Um, Jesus matters. That's a false dichotomy. Those things matter. Your culture matters. Your race matters. Your heritage matters. They just don't matter when it comes to the vertical relationship with God. Meaning they're not something that you have in order to make yourself right before the Lord. Meaning, once your vertical relationship, salvifically, how you're made right before God, it actually sheds light into what it means for you to be a man or a woman of God and whatever vocation it is that God has called you into and whatever position God has called you to, whether it's married or single, whether it's kids or no kids, those things matter and you live out your God-given identity in Christ in those things. You flesh out the good news of Jesus in those areas. So Paul is not saying it's one or the other. He's saying it's just when it comes to what makes me right before God, I count those things as lost compared to what it actually does. And that is knowing Jesus Christ. And from here, what he gives us is three things, for I think, for us to be able to recenter ourselves in relationship as opposed to religion. The first thing is this, to knowing Christ. We're to talk about that, to know Christ. Um, number two here is going to be to gain Christ. And number three, um, this just happened. Number three is going to be to, to be found in Christ, to be found in him. So to know Christ, to gain Christ, and to be found in him. So let's continue here, looking first to know Christ in verse 7. He says, but whatever I gained, I count it loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Let me, let me tell you something. So just personally, um, our family... And the last few weeks have gone—we've gone—we've gone through a lot. Just weird things that have happened that we that are out of our control, and, and um, um, family members, really close family members, being really sick and uh, really close family members dying. And so the last two weeks have been a lot of travel, where I've gone to a funeral in Mississippi, and while that happened, while I was there, my wife was here in Phoenix, and, and, and her mom was in the ICU in Sacramento, and so she flew up there. And we left our kids with the family around the corner, and um, and I flew back and picked up the kids and drove to Sacramento, and, and just a bunch of stuff like that. And and in it all, you get shaken, right? Like you get shaken because even the things that you know to be true cognitively sometimes don't filter into your heart that you can really say what matters most in my life is that I know Jesus. And here's Paul is trying to say, I'm trying to remind you, whether you're in sin, whether it's tragedy, whether it's good times, whether it's bad times, compared to the passing word. Like what, what is worthy, if we can use that word in the truest sense, is knowing Jesus is knowing Christ. Whether you've walked with Jesus for many of years or you're questioning the deity or the existence or the reality of who Christ is, that what matters most is to know him. And and let me just tell you here, the Greek here of knowing Christ, it's not a verb, meaning it's not something you do. Um, It's it's far more of a noun. It's an experience. It's a relationship. It's knowing who he is. Now, it's not just intellectual or cognitive ascent to knowing who Jesus is. It's nothing less than that. I mean, you've got to know who God is. You can't just say, um, I know God, and you get to create whatever God you have. Like The God in whom we know, the God of the Bible, reveals himself most clearly through his word. And so there is a low level of intellect, but it, it doesn't mean you need to know everything about God. In fact, there are many people who know everything um, that they could possibly know about scriptures. Paul would say he was like that before he met Jesus. And, and he knows everything about the word of God, but not about God's son. And if you don't know anything about God's son, then the word of God in itself becomes meaningless. I know it's like did the pastors say the word of God is meaningless. Um, I'm saying there's a way in which we can know all the imperatives. That means what God says tells us to do of scriptures. We can know all the imperatives without the indicatives. The indicatives is what he has done. And what that produces in us is kind of two ways of thinking. One is very prideful. Because if we know the imperatives and we are able to do it, like we're able to not murder people, not, you know, not steal from people and so forth, and we can feel really private. And then we have to look down our nose towards people who, who don't. Because we've earned it. Goodness, what's their problem? Or we feel inferior. Because if, if, you're, if you grew up like me and you see a list of rules and you can't live up to them, um, either you just feel inferior or you go, forget those rules, I'll do my other thing. Um, and, but either way, they're both a level of pride because you're trusting even your ability to do or your inability not to do, not in the one who loves. So when Paul says to know Christ, he's saying it is to be found, and it is to know him, to have relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, think, of, think of it this way. Um, we make everything like propositions in the Bibles. We chop it up to a way that it's no longer, the love language is not there anymore. Meaning like one of the favorite verses or most popular verses and the whole Bible was John 3.16, right? Like you don't have to be a Christian. You, you just watch a football game and you see John 3.16 after every field goal or something like that, right? And it's like, so God so loved the world that he gave his only son and whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Well, we take that beautiful, beautiful gospel in a nutshell passage and we chop it up to like a proposition. So, so believe in God, give him your sin, and then you get heaven forever, right? That's, so believe in God. I mean, you just, oh, that, that sounds great. And I'm going to be in heaven forever, and we're going to sing songs, and it's going to be great. Right? No. Like, if we took our kids from the children's ministry, like, the kids get it, right? If we said, okay, here's the deal, um, little kids. Believe in God. Give them your sin. You'll be in heaven forever. They might go, that, that's kind of cool, but we're going to be in heaven forever? Like, singing all the time? One of the kids are going to go, that sucks. Yes. That sucks. <laughs> But there's got to be more than that. And what I mean by that is heaven is really not heaven unless Jesus is there. Like, you go places because you want to be with those in whom you love. So when we're driving up the Sacramento, I'm not a very good driver. Like, I can't drive for 12 hours straight. So we went from Phoenix to L.A., from where I'm from, and I stayed with some close family and friends. And, and what makes my hometown nostalgic for me is not the fact that it had grass, which I miss. Um, and, and things like that, it's the fact that the people who I love are still there. If you remove them, it's like I have distant memories, but it's not a relationship. Unfortunately, what we make the relationship with God about is the songs I love. That's just context. That's not content. It, it, it's the place that I remember going to church. It's the building. It's the people. It's the person of Jesus that matters most. That we highlight these things that are good things, but they're not the main things. What Paul is saying is, I want to know Christ. I want to have a relationship with Christ. I want to be found in Christ. And I don't want to do anything, and I know I don't have to do anything to impress him. But what happens with us, oftentimes, is even when it comes to relationships, we're taught in school, um, especially in college, if take any relationship classes, um, is that the secular usually teaching is that um, the person who loves the least in the relationship has the most control. Right? And we think that somehow... We cannot, we know, we cannot love God as much as he loves us. So he's got the most control, and so i got to do something. i got to do something in order that he just won't kick me to the curb. He won't find something or somebody else to, to, to take into his relationship. So I've got I to work my way back up, and yet the gospel doesn't work like that. That when you know Christ, it is in a very intimate way of him first knowing you. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. That there's not something that we have to do in order for God to go, wow, that's really impressive when to go on a date, right? It doesn't work like that, right? That God sends his son Jesus to find us, to know Christ, is to know that we've already been found in Jesus, that we have a relationship with Jesus, that we could be accepted because of Jesus' acceptance, that all we need is need to acknowledge that we need him and that he actually wants us. Paul says, when it comes to all of the things that I've had and all the things I can do and all of my circumstances in life, what I need to be recented is, is this, is the relationship that I have in Jesus, is to know Christ, to know who he is and what he's done on my behalf. Amen? There's there's, there's a, Paul, Paul continues here, if you read with me in verse eight, he says, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth and knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for the sake. I've suffered loss of all things, And count them as rubbish, that means trash, in order that I may gain Christ. So the first part is knowing Christ and having a relationship with Christ. And when you have a relationship with somebody, you don't constantly do things to have to win their approval. I've been married now eight years. And to know Holly and to be in relationship with Holly, my wife, is not what are some things that I can do, right? If, I, if She gave me a list of things to do. Like, let's just say, hypothetically, she's ever given me a list of things to do. And, and I did all these things. And I, whatever it is, I took the boys away. I, I cleaned up the house. I actually picked up after myself. Uh, like, the things. And then I, and I looked at her and I said, now do you love me? Right? That would be kind of pathetic, wouldn't it be? It's like, I feel like sometimes we do that with God. I don't know if you guys ever worked with kids. My, my major was an, I was an elementary ed major. Um which is somewhat comical, but um, I, I, uh, whenever you would teach with kids, you would say, make sure you raise your hand. And a kid just wouldn't raise his hand. Like, how do kids raise their hand? Like, like they want to make sure, like, do you, do, you, do you see me, right? Like, my hand's up, and it's like, it's kind of like, stop it, right? I think God looks at us sometimes when we're trying to do all the things and I like, stop it, what are you doing? Like, I really love you. What are you doing, right? My wife would look at me like, did you really just ask me if I still loved you because you did all these things? Um, we don't have to do that with God. Like, God happens to be one who loves the most and actually is willing to risk the most. Unlike conventional relationships, he loves the most, right? We love the least. He loves the most, and he's willing to risk the most. And he, he gives us this love. It's a gift. And so not only is it to know Christ, but what Paul says, it's to gain Christ. And the word gain there literally means to win Christ, which seems interesting that you would have to win something. But that's just kind of the paradox of the gospel, to gain Christ, to be is to know him, have a relationship with him, and to gain him, to win him. And, and, and it's just a paradox of Christianity. Like when you read through the Bible, it's completely upside down the way that we normally think in our culture. Because the way the gospel works is the way up is the way down. Like Jesus says this, if you want to try to lose your life, like you want to lose it, spend everything you can trying to gain it. Do everything you can to to, to gain your life and you'll you'll definitely lose it. But if you want to gain it, lose it for my sake. That's that's just the way up is the way down. So the way that we actually gain Christ or the way that we win Christ is is actually um, in order to succeed, it's acknowledging that we've actually failed. In order to have, it's to acknowledge that we have not. That the way that we enter into a relationship with Jesus to know him and to gain him or to win him is to acknowledge that we can't, but that he can and we receive the gift. That's actually the hardest. I mean, think about it this way. Bring it home a little bit. If you've ever been in sin, right? And you've been in a sin that you want to get rid of. And you say things like, this is it, Lord. I'm not going to do this anymore. This is it. Last Tuesday was the last time God. And actually, next Tuesday, I got some friends. from After that, next Tuesday, God. That, that's when it's the last time. And you try to kick it, whatever it may be. And you try to kick it, and you can't kick it. What happens usually is if you find yourself, and especially if it's sin that you go, man, this is is even darker than I thought, do you run straight to Jesus? And when you run to him, do you run to his mercy and his grace, understanding that he's already forgiven you? Or do you try to earn your forgiveness through your repentance? Let me explain what I mean by that. Oftentimes when we find ourselves in sin, we say things like to God, like, you are so right, God. I am so wrong. I'm so bad. I'm wicked. I'm flawed. You find every scripture you can find on depravity. I'm a worm. I'm a loser. I'm, I'm you know, I'm horrible God that somehow God can be like, "No, stop, 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 stop. You had me at hello, right? And that somehow God would be able to accept you in. Is that, 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 is that how you relate to God? Or do you do the, the time thing? I'm going to let time go by. Which really you're proving yourself that you're not gonna do whatever that thing is no more. If I go a month or two without doing it, now I now I can go to God and say, God, you know what, Lord, I've repented and look it, look what look it. has been even two months until I've done that. Right? We do that like if we could wait long enough and then bring it up to God, then he'll be okay with it. We try to teach God treat treat God like we treat our parents, right? We get out of our parents' house, we go to college, we graduate, we're at home for Thanksgiving, we say, Hey yeah, yeah, by the way, in high school, I was on drugs the whole time. But I'm fine now, I'm fine now, right? And somehow God's just going to be like, oh, I didn't know, <laughs> right? He knows. When you, when you understand relationship, you realize that the moment that you sin, that it is his mercy and his grace that actually draws you. To Him. That there's nothing you have to do in order to make it right, and we cannot receive that. It's hard for us. We are by nature allergic to God's grace. We, we, we want to tip God. We want to say, can I do something, Lord? Can I, can, I, can I take out your trash? Can I do something in order to make it... that It feels uncomfortable that you're doing this for me, right? You know what it's like when people do something for you that's far more than what you can do for them? You feel uncomfortable. And that's the way the relationship is with God. That's why Paul says the grace of God is like a stumbling block for people. Name it this way. My brother-in-law and my, and my sister-in-law, so my wife's brother and his wife, um, we had kind of an agreement we thought that when it came to Christmas we're just going to like not do much on gifts right we love you you love us let's just like not do anything crazy and a few few Christmases ago we we um we decided to give them a calendar (laughs) with our pictures on it (laughs) like January us (laughs) February us (laughs) us right and we thought all right they'll give us something lame like that as well and it'd be fine we love them but then, I can't remember what they gave us, but like, you know, let's just say like an espresso maker or something like that. You, it's hard for us to accept those gifts, right? You ever had that, like, whoa, you gave me this? You shouldn't have given, no, I can't take this. I can't, no, I can't. You want to give it back to so them? Like, no, it's all right. You know what, next year I'm getting you a car, man. <laughs> like, next year, next year I'm, I'm going all the way out. Like, you want to do these things and you can't, you can't really accept the gifts from them. And again, going back to Jesus saying we should have faith like kids. Kids don't work like that. Like, you, on Christmas... You give a kid something that's incredible, they don't go, Mom, no, I can't, right? (laughs) I can't take, no, 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 they love it. They just, they immediately enjoy the gift, right? They they forget everything else, they thank you, and they enjoy whatever the gift is, right? They hate the calendars, right? They look at the calendar, really, right? But the biggest, they just say, let me enjoy this. What if God is saying, just enjoy it? Just enjoy. Now, some of you may say, well, if that is what it means to know Christ, and that that's what it means to gain Christ, then what does obedience have to do with it? Like, if it's truly like I sin and I just run to God and he has his gift of grace for me, then why don't I just keep sinning and sinning and sinning? And why don't I just do whatever I want to do since, you know, I kind of have to get out of jail free card? Well, that goes back to the first point of knowing Christ. Knowing Christ is having a relationship with him. And then understanding and gaining Christ is that you had that relationship as a gift. And if you've ever been in any relationship before, you realize there are rules for the relationship. There are. You don't enter the relationship because of the rules. Like, you don't, I don't meet Holly and she said, hey, by the way, if we're going to get married, um, here's a list of the rules. Go over them. See if they work with you. If there's anyone you want to kind of talk about, we can talk about. Um, live up to those things and we'll get married. You know, we love each other. We committed to each other, and because we're in a relationship with each other, there are things, there are rules, there are boundaries that are there because of the love that we have. When anyone says that they are in a relationship with Jesus, and then they just go flippantly about sin, I don't need to obey God, I don't need to trust in His word," um, you may not be in relationship with the God of the Bible. Um, you may be in relationship with um, an idea of the God of the Bible. You, you may you may love parts of the God of the Bible. Right. You, you, you may you may be in relationship with God in the way that you think God's like a friend with benefits or something like that. Right. Um, you, you may like, you know, if you grew up around a lake, people would say around summertime, you have friends that own boats, but you only are friends with them around summertime. When the, when the when the summer's over, it's like I don't know you, but it was fun being on your boat, right? Um, that that was a friends with benefits. When I said that earlier, you guys are thinking other things because your minds are not where they're supposed to be, um, and so, so. If you believe that obedience is something that gets in the way of the relationship, you've missed it. If you think that obedience actually starts the relationship, you've missed it as well. Obedience in itself is God's way of giving us his loving commands to maintain, to sustain, to know his love, that he protects us, that he guides us. And so the person in the relationship, because they love the person, they realize these are things that I will do and not do because of how much I'm in love with this person. Amen. But if you, if, you, if you don't think that, I'm just saying, there may be a chance that this person that you say you know, this Jesus, or that you you gained, may not be the way the Bible describes it. Because the Bible gives us all of these things about obedience, but obedience flows from relationship. It flows from knowing that you love that person, and that person loves you. Well, lastly, here's what Paul gives us. To know Christ, to gain Christ. And then finally, to be found in Christ. And so, if you pick up here in verse nine, it says, "And that I may and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God." And so, here's what he's saying. Here. He goes, "I want to go back to this point of I know Him. I have a relationship with Him. I gain Christ. This is something that I receive. It's a gift that I just enjoy Him, and I have this freedom. And then I want to be found in Him now." You can read through all the epistles of Paul, and you're going to hear him say this a lot. In Christ, in him, in Christ, in him. Because he understands something. And that is that my whole life and our whole life, those of us who walk with God, has to be found in Christ. And to be found in Christ, meaning his righteousness, is that we don't come with the righteousness of our own. Because here's the nature of the beast. We naturally put on fronts. That's what we do. And a front is just this pretend version of who we are. Because we know that people like that. People do like the pretend version of ourselves. Like, they like the silly jokes we tell. Um, they like the pretend lies or white lies that we tell. Um, the way we carry ourselves is that we got it all together, and they're just fronts. But God does not like that one bit because he can see it all. And Paul's saying, okay, I don't want to just put up a front anymore because what I did with all my religion is I just put up a front and said, okay, this is what I look like. It's like those model homes that on the outside they look really good, and if you walk in and you realize it's just an outside. And some of us are content with that. I'm more inclined to the houses we see in Tempe and some of the houses I'm sure you see in in Tucson. We're on the outside, let's just be honest, they look terrible. But when you go in, you realize the family that's there has made that thing so beautiful, so right, so then. And it's not the whole cliche, don't judge a book by its cover. But you just can't judge a book by its cover. You have to go inside and see what it is. The fronts that we put on, we put on religious fronts. And that is, we try to be really good church people. We try to be really good Christians, which by itself is an oxymoron. You become a Christian because you acknowledge that you can't. Um, we try to be people who put on front of our education. We put on front of what we've been able to accomplish. And people accept us because of these things. And Paul said, I, I just don't want to be accepted by that anymore. Um, and it's easy for us to slip, right? It is easy. I was talking to a guy last night at a wedding, and he's a pastor in the church here. And, um, and he starts telling me stuff about his church and things and and everything everyone's like, well, let me tell them about my church. Guess what we did? My kids can walk. You know what I mean? Like you start, it's like parents with their kids. You know, you start talking about your kids. What can your kid do? My kid's walking. My kid just graduated from college. He's seven. You know? And, and it's just this one-upping. And it's like, Paul's like, no, 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 no. If you know him and your relationship with him, and you gain him, just make it about him and be who you are, right? Because here's the reality. We don't even know who we are. We don't. And the reason why we're so afraid of people not accepting us is we don't even know if we would accept ourselves if we weren't ourselves. That, that we, we look in the mirror sometimes and we're going, who are you? Right? You ever walk away from conversations with people that you totally just put on a front and you go, ugh, that didn't taste well. Remember years ago, um, not that this only happened years ago, <laughs> remember last night, <laughs> years ago I was with some friends of mine that I, I went to college with and and we always get together and we tell all these dumb stories and, and everything and it's funny and my wife likes to call us Uncle Rico because we just like relive everything that we thought happened in football that probably really didn't even happen um, and and um, and we're driving back and she goes Do you ever like she said something to the nature of like Do you ever like get weirded out of telling all these stories of like what life was like before you knew Jesus as like in a celebratory type way I'm thinking like You're supposed to be on my side. Why are you (laughs) going to do like that, you know? But it's true. It's it's that sense of going, I found myself as a follower of Christ jumping in another circle because that was was accepted in that particular circle. And then the next day I was probably going to be with my redemption community and people were going to start talking about Christian things and I was not going to jump in there because, you know what, that's what's accepted in that circle. And then I was going to go to these lame pastor conferences that you go to. And then, how big is your church? How, how many people got saved? How many babies got baptized? How many kids do you have? Oh, you only have two kids? <laughs> you ain't a Christian. And it's just like, you know, and, it's, and, it, and it just goes from one group to the next. And Paul's saying, I just don't want to be found in any of those things. Like, those things, they flop, they fade. They're not lasting. They're not eternal. I want to be found in Christ because God only accepts me, not in what I bring to Him, but what He's given me in Jesus. Um, so, I've always wanted to meet the president of the United States, not just the president now, although, obvious obviously, I'd love to meet him too, but there's, 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 I just want to meet the president, and you start thinking about what would you wear if you knew you were going to meet the president, have any of you guys met the president of the United States, you've met him, um, and my wife has met the president, um, you guys are fortunate, but um, anyway, is, is that. I, what would you wear? And I asked my son last night, I said, if you were my son wants, to, like, he doesn't dress up for anything. I said, hey, if you want to meet Obama, and he goes, yeah. And I said, if you got a chance to meet Obama, what would you wear? And he goes, man, I'd wear jeans. Because to him, that's like, then he goes, no, I'd wear a suit. And I'm like, first of all, he's never worn a suit. <laughs> Two, this is a guy that only wants to wear basketball shorts and high socks every single day. And I said, why? And he goes, because it's the president, right? Like, wouldn't you know if you're going to meet someone at prestige? you'd want to put on something like your best digs. You go out and buy something or steal something at best, that you look really good to meet the president. And I think sometimes if we think we, if we go before the Lord, that's what we need to do. We've got to have the right prayer language. We've got to have something right. And God's just going, no, it doesn't matter. It, it's more like the way they used to do weddings. The way they used to do weddings is the person who was getting married told his boys if you're going to be my wedding i'm going to pay for your suit they don't do that anymore uh that's why i'd rather be asked to officiate the wedding to be in the wedding they're expensive and so i remember my buddy's first his first wedding his only wedding the first wedding that i was a part of he said hey um, we're going to get these suits i'm like dude josh that's going to be expensive "No, no no i got it all you got to do is show up to this place they're going to get it fitted just for you and then just give them this code and, and it's done and I remember going to this place, and you know, I felt important, and like fitted my suit for me and everything, and, and it was like it was already paid for, and so I can show up looking the way I was supposed to look, because he wanted us all to look just like him. All right, you know where I'm going with this. When Paul says, I want to be found in Christ, he's saying, Whatever it is that you have, you don't have the money, you have insufficient funds, there's nothing you can buy, there's nothing you can put on that God's gonna go, that's it. But truly, the groom, the groom, the bridegroom, which is Christ himself, says. I've already paid for it. All you got to do is go in my name. That's the code. It just come in my name, and that's it. And then everything that you need, it'll be fitted towards who you are. There, there, there is not a one-size-fit-all uh, relationship with Jesus, because God has created us differently. But there is a one-blood-fits-all, and that is the blood of Christ. And that's not just a down payment, but that's what's actually been given to us in order that we may have the righteousness of Christ. And so what it means to be re-centered around Jesus in a way that's not religious, but a relay that's relational, is starting first and foremost with what what makes the relationship, and that is knowing Christ, knowing who he is, that he's lived the life you could have lived and died the death that you should have died, that you gain him, that you've already won him, not by anything that you've done in your performance because of his performance. And that means if you did nothing to earn it, therefore you can do nothing to lose it, and that you're constantly being found in him. That you don't have to put on all of these things because we are naturally like our first mother and our first father, Adam and Eve. What we naturally do is that when they, when they were in sin, what did they do? They put on fig leaves and they, they hide themselves because they didn't want to be found out before God. And, and, and what we do is we take, we take these metaphorical fig leaves um, called uh, approval and prestige and so forth. And we want people to, um, to hide ourselves from people. That we, want to, we, we are people who want to be noticed, but we don't want to be found like, what I mean by notice is we want as many Facebook likes and retweets and, and silly things like that because people to notice what we've done. But to be found, meaning you've got to know all of me. Like, every single part of me you get to know. And so we don't want to be found. And yet God is saying, that's exactly what I'm doing. And I'm not going to find you in yourself. I'm going to find you in Christ. And so the most beautiful thing of the gospel when it comes to the way we wake up in the morning that gives us the motivation to know, trust, and follow Jesus continuously is that when God looks at us, he's not looking at what we did last night, good or bad, but he's looking at his son Jesus. And if you can fathom this, that God has always been a father. What I mean by that is, people oftentimes want to know, how can I relate to God? You can relate to God as a judge. That's biblical. But if God is only a judge, that means what salvation offers is best is is basically an acquittal. Uh, But nobody has a relationship with the judge. Or, 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 or the, some ways we look at God as the Father. We look at God as the divine police, right? That he's, he's just driving around waiting for us to make a mistake so he can put the lights on and pull us over. And at best, if you guys have ever had that experience of being you know, pulled over by a cop and then, then letting you go without getting a ticket, supposedly that happens sometimes. Um, and, and you, you, you get let go, but you don't think, oh, I want a relationship with that cop. What was his name? Oh, personal relationship with him, right? No. No. Um, <laughs> At best, we, we, we say we want, to, we want to relate to God as creator because he's the creator of everything, and that's very, very biblical. But what was God doing before he even created? And what we know to be true of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Son that we sing is he's always had a son. Jesus has always existed. That means he's always been this loving father. And being a loving father, that creation in itself was an overflow of him desiring to share the same love that he had with Jesus with all of us. That even when we sin and rebel, that redemption looks like this. Is that God saying, I want to again, afresh, share the same love that I've always had eternally with with my son, with my sons and daughters who would trust in my son by faith. So what that means to know Christ is to know that you are supremely, infinitely, internally loved by the Father. And the same intensity that he loves Jesus, he loves you, nothing less. To, to gain him is to saying that though we've lost something because of sin, that now because of Christ, we've gained everything that is Christ, that what is true of Christ is true of us. So when Jesus, as we see in the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, he's baptized and he comes out of the water, and then God says, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased. What I love about that passage is Jesus had not done anything yet. Like he hadn't, he hadn't saved anybody. He hadn't raised anybody from the dead. He hadn't cast out a demon. All he did was go underwater and come up, and God was like, that's my boy. And we have God the Father saying, because you're in Christ, he's the dad that's sitting there, not waiting for his son to score the goal or hit the game-winning home run. As he's putting on the uniform, that's my boy. In the best of times, that's my boy. In the worst of times, that's my boy. That's my daughter. And he says, I'm well pleased with you. And you say, God, I didn't do anything. And he says, I didn't save you because you could do anything. I saved you because I loved you. And I've always loved you. To know him, to gain it, and then to be found in him. To be found in him with not a righteousness in which we bring, but a righteousness of God, a perfect righteousness. What that means then now is that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. What makes us repent is because we know that we're loved and we have one who stands in forgiveness. forgiveness. What makes us obey is because we know that we're loved, that we know Christ, we've gained Christ, we're found in him. Everything in the Christian life of becoming a Christian, growing as a Christian, being sustained as a Christian, is all knitted on the fact that we know Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection, and that in Christ we have a Father who loves us infinitely. Paul concludes this whole thing with saying, what gives us the driving force for this to be our, ours forever? And he closes with this. He says, verse 9 again, to be found in him, not having a righteousness of that comes from the law, but that which comes by faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. What he's saying is the linchpin of this is this. You don't have a relationship with dead people. And the fact that Jesus died and he was raised again means that everything that Jesus has said and everything that Paul has said and everything that is ours in Christ Jesus, we have because of the the power of the resurrection. So that means by faith we initiate the relationship. God does. By faith in Christ, he sustains it. And through the power of the resurrection, it is ours for all eternity. So no matter how far we drift from the sinner, the way we get back is not by what we do, but remembering how we got in. And that is what he's done. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for simplicity of giving us Jesus and nothing else. And God, I pray that we would be able to repent of the righteous things that we do in order to earn favor of men, even favor of yourselves. that we repent of the reasons of why we do the good things we do, and that we would find freedom and rest in Jesus to know him. God, I pray that we would confess the sins that we do, Lord, that are against and a breach of the relationship, the covenant that we have with you, that you would make us extremely aware and sensitive to those things. And God, even more so that we'd be more sensitive to the grace and love that we have to be able to repent and receive the mercy and forgiveness that you give us and you grant us through the work of Christ. God, I pray that our confidence would not be in our children. Our confidence would not be in our studies. Our confidence would not be in the way we look. Our confidence would not be in what we can give or what we can receive. But our confidence would be that we are found in Jesus. And that what you clothe us with, Lord, is nothing but your beauty and your righteousness. And it's never to be taken away. That apart from you, Lord, we do feel a sense of being naked, guilty, and ashamed. for the things in which we've done are the things that have been done to us. And Lord, we thank you that in Christ Jesus that you cover us. And you cover us in a way that only a loving father can. And so, Jesus, we ask that even as we prepare our hearts and our minds to remember you, through communion, God, that you would meet us here in a very tangible way and that your spirit would rest upon us and that you would give us a sense of your glory, of your authority, of your love, of your mercy and your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.